This is How to Write Your First Novel, brought to you by NatWest, a proud partner of the Women's Prize for Fiction. I'm James Sullivan, and in this podcast series, we're celebrating the 25th year of the Women's Prize for Fiction by bringing you conversations with some of the UK's most talented authors, comedians, creative writing teachers, and ultimately, devotees of reading and writing. In this episode, we're focusing on writing your first novel. Everyone has the potential to write a novel, but few manage it. So how do you get started tackling that blank page? What makes for a good writing routine? And once you've written something you like, what do you do next? I'm about to start work on a fourth novel, um, and I have no idea how to write it, and no idea what the voice is, what the tone is, what, what the shape of it is even. Um, I just know I solved this problem before. There have been phases in, in my writing time where I've held part-time jobs uh, and that's been an absolute joy because I think for me the combination of having time which is purely for your writing and then on the other hand time where you're out in the world with colleagues doing work um, that's a kind of delicious combination. There was a terrible thing that happened once in the world which is someone invented the phrase writer's block and I know that this can be a genuine thing that writers suffer from in a really crippling way. But I find all kinds of people, particularly you know, among my students, who are just suffering from laziness, procrastination, or getting stuck on an idea, decide this must be writer's block. And it's not. There are times you'll get stuck. Hello. Hello, Natalie. Hey. Hey, hey, how are you doing? This is the first time I've ever started up a Zoom meeting and the, the person I'm uh, going to talk to is there before me. I'm, I'm extremely impressed. <laughs> I'm never, ever on time for anything. I'm either late or early. There's no, I'm literally 100% of the time not punctual. <laughs> I'm Natalie Haynes and I'm a writer and broadcaster and classicist. And this year, uh, my novel, A Thousand Ships, has been shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction. Do you remember when you were a kid or whenever you started writing? Do you remember what the first sort of story or poem or... I really don't. I always feel really, really guilty about this because I know that what you're supposed to say as a writer is that I spent every spare minute as a child um, creating stories and I was really keen on that kind of open-ended play where you had, you know, figurines of some sort, Lego or Playmobil or whatever, um, and you created stories. And none of this is true for me. I didn't spend any time creating stories with toys. I didn't spend any time writing stories down. I sat 11 GCSEs. I sat four A-levels. I had a Saturday job. I had a you know succession of unsuitable boyfriends. And honestly, that's all there was time for. And so I didn't start writing creative writing until I became a comedian, which was when I was an undergraduate. Um, and so the first writing I ever did was for performance. And stand-up is not the easiest place to start I'm not going to lie to you I came to fiction writing really late I moved sideways and I did a, a TV show with Daniel Finkelstein who at the time was the op-ed editor for the Times um, and he asked me if I would fill in for Alan Corrin who was ill and write his column on a Saturday um, and I did it for a couple of weeks and then I ended up doing it for the best part of a year I'd always want, wanted to write novels I just never thought it was possible I interviewed Fran Lebowitz the American humorist once and I said when did you know you wanted to be a writer and she said as soon as I realized that books weren't like trees and that someone made them and I think it's a great answer and I think I wish it was mine you know it didn't occur to me that I knew perfectly well that books weren't like trees it just didn't occur to me the books were written by people like me I'm Carmela Shamsi. I'm a novelist. And in 2018, I won the Women's Prize for Fiction for my novel, Home Fire. When I was 11 years old, my best friend and I had both lost our pet dogs. And so we wrote a book about dog heaven. And really, I haven't stopped since. It was called A Dog's Life and After. Um, 
And in fact, it was a dog's life, comma, and after, which I think is quite, you know, grown up for an 11-year-old. Um, and basically, it was, you know, my dog and my best friend's dog, you know, landing up in, in dog heaven. And it was very episodic. There would be the dog Olympics. There would be the encounter with dog hell. There would, you know, all this kind of stuff going on. I went to university in America, studied creative writing, went and did a master's there. And in fact, it was while I was doing my master's, I wrote the novel that would become my first published novel. So it was all sort of boringly straightforward and I have no tales of high drama and, you know, living in a garret, freezing. <laughs> I don't think uh, losing a dog aged 11 counts as having no drama. It's true, it's awful. true. It, it, did, it started with pain and tragedy, like all good writers should, yes. Have you got a writing routine that you stick to? But yeah, I'm incredibly ritualistic. So I do the same things every day at the same time. I would eat the same food every day if it were left entirely up to me. Um, but yeah, every morning I go for a run or a walk. Every, apart from Tuesdays when I go to kickboxing, every you know afternoon I start writing at two and then I write through until there are a thousand words. And every you know evening I'll then either watch telly if I've finished everything or read if I've got work to do. And I do the same thing every single day. And I would cheerfully do that I'm, I, and have cheerfully done that for five or six months at a time without having a day off I won't even notice for a while it'll be a good two or three months before someone says when did you last have a day off and I won't be able to answer it wow so if that is, I know that is... I have almost no friends <laughs> <laughs> this is the, you're literally say. the first person I've seen <laughs> a thousand words is that that's your daily goal that's 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 what always yeah because there are going to be some days in any given week which I can't write on because I have to go and do a live show for example and it's one of the great um irritations of my life that I find it impossible to write fiction and perform the live shows on the same day because the live show requires you to be kind of you but more so and the fiction requires you to step aside so the characters have space to breathe and talk um, and flitting between those two extremes is for me it's not possible and then I start writing by reading back over yesterday's thousand words and making minor changes, you know, where I just go, that sentence is terrible. What were you even thinking? You could fix that. Um, and that kind of gets me into the zone of the of the book before I have to actually start making new words happen. I'm usually quite good about being self-disciplined. Um, you know, so I wake up in the morning, have my cup of tea or coffee, read the papers or don't read the papers, um, and then sit in my desk. And I, when I'm writing, I'll do that five days a week. How long I stay at my desk depends on the day. Some days are good days, some days are bad days, and there's no point forcing it. Um, I have found that that one of the um, interesting things in lockdown is because there's there's very little structure to the day, um, that I was finding it quite easy to put things off, be lazy getting up, lazy starting the day, and then somehow it not happening. And what I've ended up doing the last few weeks that has been incredibly helpful is I have three friends in Massachusetts who I was at university with. We did our master's together and we've stayed friends, although it's now been about 25 years. And they all get on Zoom together in the morning um, and say, this is what I'm going to do today for the next two hours. And then at the end of the two hours, they come back on Zoom again and say, this is what I've done. And I've started joining those meetings. So it's my early afternoon. And there's something about that accountability of knowing, right, in these two hours, I'm not going to faff around because my three friends sitting across the ocean are sitting at their desks working. I better sit at my desk working so that in two hours when we meet again, I can report back that I've been productive. You would think that by the time you're working on your eighth novel, you wouldn't need this. 
Um, but something about the strangeness of these days has made it necessary in a way it hasn't before. Um, and it's it's really useful that just that accountability. I'm Anna Davis. I'm the founder and managing director of Curtis Brown Creative, which is uh, a creative writing school that is um, a part of the same organization as the Curtis Brown Literary Agency. And I'm also the author of five novels. Were you um, quite shy about showing your work to other people at first? How were you able to just get over that and, and make the leap? I think I was both shy and excited about showing my work to other people. I think I, I desperately wanted to to know what they thought. And actually, sometimes it was when people didn't like stuff that it ended up being the most useful. It can be bruising at the time. I mean, something I say to, to students is that when you get criticism of your work, it's worthwhile sitting back from it and just listening and um, and coming to reflect on it later. I, I think you have a, a huge instinct to try to defend your work and to try to explain, no, no, that's not what I meant. What I meant was this or, you know, but the point is the reader experience is valid. And if that's how your work is being read, that's how your work is being read. That's a genuine, um, that's a genuine opinion. Um, and, you know, you're not going to please all of your readers, but I think it's worth sitting back from it, reflecting on it, thinking about it, finding your own way and finding your own solutions. And sometimes it's the feedback that jars with you the most that turns out to be the really important feedback. I'm still really shy. I'm shy about everything, really. I still think of myself as a, a comedian who's sort of dabbling in another thing. And yeah, it's nonsense. I've been a novelist now for almost as long as I was a comedian. I've been a writer for longer just because I'm sceptical of, of of doing it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it just because I'm shy of the results doesn't mean I'm not going to achieve them that's it's I find it incredibly easy to live in that kind of dual reality where you go this is the best thing I've ever made I can't bear anyone to ever see it I, I have no problem with existing like that for months or years at a time when I was a child doing all that writing the only people who saw it were my best friend who was co-writing with me um, and my parents and sister and maybe one other uh, family friend but I didn't really see any point. In it. And then, of course, the easy thing about a university setting is you're all in the class together and you're all supposed to show, see each other's work and critique each other's work. And I think that made it, you know, of course, it was nerve wracking to begin with. But I think that makes it then easier because once you've sat in a room with, you know, 16 or so 19 and 20 year olds telling you what is right and what is wrong, um, it just makes it easier to to send it out in the world, I think. Perhaps unsurprisingly then, it sounds like the shyness around showing other people your work never really goes away. You just have to learn to live with it. But what about the practical stuff? What next steps should you be looking at? I asked Anna and then Natalie about the role of the agent and others you can turn to. Almost all writers who are published writers have an agent. I mean, there are some that choose not to. Um, but the vast majority do. People who self-publish don't need an agent, um, but but those who want to be published as part of co the conventional publishing. Um, and getting an agent is very difficult. I mean, you can't just sort of say, oh, well, I've written my novel. I'm going to choose an agent now. Um, you know, agents will only represent a very small number of writers and they will only represent writers who they completely believe in and whose books they feel very confident of selling. The agent works on a commission basis and they don't make any money unless they're able to sell the author's work. So that's kind of, you know, at the, the kind of business end, that's that's what it means. So for, for an author who has finished their novel, um, they really need to um, they need to polish it up and make it as good as it can possibly be, whether they're doing that on their own 
whether they're doing that with the help of a course like ours, whether they are just working with trusted readers, people who can give them good feedback. You know, you don't have to take a course to be a writer. Um, you know, many people just do it completely alone. Um, but yes, there comes a point where you've done everything you can and you're going to, um, you know, potentially send some of it to an agent. And then, you know, usually what you'll do is send to more than one agent at once. You'll send to quite a few at once, being very careful to research it properly, to put together a really strong package of um, the letter to the agent, the synopsis, uh, and a, a strong opening section. And you send that to the agent, you know, looking carefully at what the agency wants to receive from you. Um, and then they will call in the whole um, typescript if they're interested uh, and potentially offer representation. And it is, it's a huge step. It, it's not a guarantee of publishing, but it's a huge step for an author to gain an agent. And I think for us at Curtis Brown Creative, um, that's the kind of, I think, our positioning in terms of being related to the agency and having the agents actively involved in the courses and having that very semi-permeable membrane there. That's very much a part of um, what makes us who we are as a writing school. You always want people in your corner. It doesn't really matter if they're friends or relatives or an agent or an editor. I think it's, it's an incredibly um, revealing process. You're, telling, you're showing people who you are, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you're offering people an insight into you. And you need to know that some of the, at least some of the people who are going to be absorbing that work are, are on your side. They don't have to have pom-poms and be spelling out your name, but they have to be in your corner. For many years, I wasn't able to earn a living as a writer. And I think there are a lot of writers who are never able to, you know, I was in a position where I haven't had dependents so at a certain point I think around my fifth novel the writing was started to bring in enough but that was you know a while down the line I had a teaching position in America at a university where I would again I was lucky to be able to work out this way I would teach every third semester so one semester out of three I'd go and get a regular paycheck and then I would sort of live off it and live off you know what what small advances were coming in but I've also for a number of years been you know doing other kinds of writing so I'll whether it's book reviews or journalism or essays there'll be short story commissions that come in I mean one thing is the more you do this the more you get asked to do yeah in the beginning you really need to you do need to find out figure out a way uh, to balance these things and the difficulty of course in it is most people aren't going to be lucky enough to very early on get a position that says you teach one term and then you get a year off in between and trying to work out a way that you're working but it's not so exhausting that you're just emptied of everything um, I was actually talking to a friend yesterday who has a full-time position is, is writing something and she said I, I realized I need to get up in the morning very early and write from 6 a.m to 9 a.m and then go to work because at the end of the workday my, my brain is fried and I don't have anything left um, and there are other friends of mine in past who said, well, just weekends are for working. Um, and those are, you know, it requires huge self-discipline because if you have a full-time job, of course, when you're done with it, you just want some downtime. I'm not really writing at the moment because all of my energy is going into um, running Curtis Brown Creative. But when I am writing, uh, when I'm working on a novel, um, I find that it is really useful to work every day if you can, even if you can only spare a very short amount of time every day. There have been phases in, in my writing time where 
I've held part-time jobs uh, and that's been an absolute joy because I think for me, the combination of having time which is purely for your writing and then on the other hand, time where you're out in the world with colleagues doing work, um, that's a kind of delicious combination and each one kind of makes the other side of it feel uh, better. So in those days of... uh, holding a part-time job, which I did for quite some time. I was working at the Curtis Brown Literary Agency, but I was also then writing at home a couple of days a week. I found it really brilliant to have that, that combination of stuff. I mean, I think the main thing is to work out when your most productive time is. So if you're a night owl, then it's fine to write at night. Don't, don't let people push you into doing the early mornings. Um, but you work out when it works for you and then stick to it. And it's like anything else. It's like if you're trying to take up running or something, you will often feel a kind of resistance to settling down and engaging with it because it takes effort and it doesn't always work. And, um, but once you've done it, Um, when you're in it, it's great. And once you've done it, you feel really great. I've had students who have the most incredibly busy and demanding lives. I remember one student who had, I think, four children under the age of eight or something and, and a husband who was very ill. And, you know, she had so little time to herself, but she was one of the most dedicated students that we've had. And she was really incredible when it came to, um, you know, being just really dedicated, really diligent, really focused. So yeah, that, that is what it comes down to in the end, I think. Do you have any bad habits that you find yourself slipping into uh, as, as in, when you're in the writing process? The bad habit, of course, is every writer's bad habit, which is procrastination. And there was a terrible thing that happened once in the world, which was someone invented the phrase writer's block. Um, and I know that this can be a genuine thing that writers, you know, suffer from in a really crippling way. Um, but I find all kinds of people, particularly you know, among my students who are just suffering from laziness, procrastination, or getting stuck on an idea, decide this must be writer's block. And it's not. There are times you'll get stuck. I mean, for me, it's particularly beginnings. I find beginnings so daunting because I, I go from sort of a shimmer of an idea. Um, and I think, well, how is that ever going to become a novel? And other people get stuck halfway. And, and sometimes you discover you've gone down a blind alley um, there are days when you struggle to write a hundred words. It's useful to have other writer friends who remind you that this is normal. I remember there was one novel I was working on, in fact, Home Fire, the last one. Um, and I just, at some point, was feeling, oh God, this isn't working at all. And I wrote to my friend Nadeem Aslam, who's a wonderful novelist um, and also a very good friend. And I said, I just feel sort of, I don't know if the words are lifting off the page. I don't know if this is interesting to anyone. Um, I'm writing and they're sort of, you know, at the end of each day, I think, was that any good? And I did this sort of long paragraph of just angst. And he wrote back one sentence. So you're writing a novel. You still get that terror, seven or eight novels in. Um, But I think once you've done it for a certain length of time, you recognize that this is part of the process. This has happened before. you know, and to sort of move on from it and, and write your way through it. Um, and I think that there are a lot of novels, a lot of very brilliant novels out there that have never been finished because the writers hit that moment of terror and stopped. So if there's one thing I could say to to the writers sitting there with that first novel is write through it, write your way through it. It is a completely normal and expected part of the process. Do you find it easier now than you did when you started writing uh, fiction? 
I don't know. I don't know if I do or not. Julian Barnes once told me that the act of writing each book is the act of um, solving the problems inherent to that particular book. So actually, nothing that you did with the last book is in any way useful for this book, except that you know you worked it out last time. I'm about to start work on a fourth novel. Um, and I have no idea how to write it and no idea what the voice is, what the tone is, what, what the shape of it is even. I just know I solved this problem before three times. So there's a, there's a fighting chance I can do it again. But I don't, I don't believe it. I just am aware of the statistics being on my side. So how did you deal with it on the first time round? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Annoyingly. Yeah. I think maybe denial. Does that sound right? I think it might have been denial. Yeah. Thanks for listening to How to Write Your First Novel, a podcast brought to you by NatWest. This year, Women's Prize Trust is partnering with NatWest and Curtis Brown to launch Discoveries, a unique programme searching for the most talented and original new female writing voices in the UK and Ireland. Here's Anna with a little more information. The Discoveries Prize is a novel writing prize for women. It is being run jointly by um, the Women's Prize Trust, the Curtis Brown Literary Agency, by us, Curtis Brown Creative, the Creative Writing School, and also working with Nat West. We want to find talented people. There will be an overall winner of a prize, but there will also be some mentoring opportunities available for people. There will be places on courses of hours that are available for people. We're looking to find talented novelists who are not already published. Think this could be you? Visit womensprizeforfiction.co.uk and search for Discoveries to find out more.